Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and we're continuing our journey of exploration into Canada's urban centers. So how are you doing? The novelty of a lifestyle shift brought about by a novel virus has us all wondering what's next. Those who have lived sacrificially in service to others are suddenly disconnected and looking for new patterns of meaningful connection. The city I live in, Windsor, has a long history of economic climb and descent and is home to automotive manufacturers, large layoffs, rising unemployment rates have come and gone many times and at various intervals people have asked, how's your church doing uh, during the latest layoff or anything like that? And I've often replied by saying, well, a lot of people in my congregation are poor and during a downturn, uh, things are business as usual for the poor. They're not affected in the same way. Churches that serve the poor will certainly be feeling the same pinch as the rest of the middle class, as our donor uh, base shrinks, as we look at staff layoffs, but perhaps the greatest loss to the marginalized will not be economic, since that wasn't there in the first place. The greatest loss for churches that serve the poor is the opportunity to provide hospitality. You know, it's as if the world right now is in a minimum security jail. We're learning how to live with increased limitation and that grates against our freedom and against our mobility. Let's pray that none are lost and that our incarceration becomes fruitful. It certainly was for the Apostle Paul uh, to be in jail, to lose his public freedom, uh, turned to him writing many of the epistles of the New Testament. One of the reasons I started Sidewalk Skyline podcast was to share the incredible eternal wealth that is found in the urban church. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go and meet St. Chad from St. John, New Brunswick. Chad Nickerson is the pastor of Calvary Temple, a historic urban church caring for its city in creative ways. So let's go now to my interview from 2019 with Chad Nickerson. Chad, uh, you're in St. John, New Brunswick, not to be confused with St. John's, Newfoundland. Is there any other uh, derivations on that? Uh, there is, yeah, there's some in Quebec and a few other places. Yeah. yeah. So Saint, spelled S-A-I-N-T, and in Newfoundland, S-T, period. That's it. There we go. So I've never been to St. John, and uh, I understand that I'm missing out on a wonderful place. So you, you are. Tell me about your city. St. John, New Brunswick is uh, a beautiful uh, city on the shores of the uh, Bay of Funday. Uh, it's a gorgeous place, coastal place. It uh, has a, a quite a variety of um, industry. Uh, we've got a Canada's largest oil refinery is in St. John. Mm -hmm. There's a large tissue mill, a large pulp mill. Uh, so there's a, a quite a mix of uh, some white collar workers and a couple of corporate offices that are in office towers downtown, as well as a lot of blue collar workers, of course, in the mills. Mm -hmm. And then we also have some very high rates of poverty as well. Mm -hmm. uh, when you think, uh, people think of St. John, uh, they think Maritimes, 
And when people think Maritimes, uh, at least if you're in Ontario or other parts of Canada, you think um, often of, you know, beautiful countryside and you think of depressed economy. Mm -hmm. And uh, though it's a place of industry, it's probably an on and off place, right? Mm -hmm. Either people are working or, the, or everybody's looking for work. That's right. Yeah. My, my father-in-law is a chartered accountant and he says or has said before that uh, whereas other places in Canada will experience, you know, depressions, uh, sometimes it can feel like the Maritimes are always in a state of some form of depression economically. Mm -hmm. um, we just, you know, kind of ride it out or whatever. That's right. what it feels like right. often. Yeah. Yeah. And you grew up in a little town in the Maritimes. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia small town mm -hmm. of about 7,000 people on the southern tip of Nova Scotia and uh, grew up in a rural spot just outside of that town mm -hmm. um, for most of my... Uh, what was it called? Uh, called? The little village I lived in? Yeah. Kelly's Cove. Kelly's Cove. Kelly's Cove. And it's a literal cove right around the coast mm -hmm. on the southern tip. And so, yeah, my experience, all my growing up years, teen years, was a small town experience, a small church mm -hmm. that I was involved in through most of my life, about yeah. 30 or 40 people-ish that regularly attended. And so, yeah, very, very uh, rural kind of yeah. experience. And somewhere in those formative years, uh, you fell in love with Jesus. And then somewhere along the line, you began to feel this impulse that maybe I'm supposed to become a pastor. Mm. So... Um, you went from being a, a small town boy growing up in, in a, uh, place that has, uh, uh, not as much, uh, urban feel to it, <laughs> no urban feel to That's it, right. but now you're in St. John and, uh, so you're pastoring a church there. Uh, so tell me, tell me about the, the church that you're pastoring. I pastor, I'm the lead pastor of Calvary Temple Church in uh, the inner city, in the uh, city center, the city core. It's a, our neighborhood where the church is, is called the South Central Peninsula. And it's uh, just smack dab right in the middle of the, the large geographical area that's St. John City proper. And uh, it's, it's close to the coast. It's right where all the office towers are and a lot of uh, some new development of housing and whatnot is popping up right around us. Mm -hmm. It's uh, right in the heart of everything. I think our building, when you look at a map, our building is just about in the dead center hmm. of that whole inner city area. Well, I hope you're not the dead center. The living center of the that city. Center. There you yeah, go. there we go. <laughs> uh, so give me a church history lesson. Tell me about, about this church. Uh, you've been there 14 years. You, you were, came on as a youth pastor, associate pastor, and then two years ago, lead pastor. So, That's right. Uh, take us all the way back. Let's, let's learn about this place. Well, um, some church history buffs would probably remember, maybe maybe have heard of the names, the Davis sisters. Mm -hmm. uh, they came up from Georgia uh, to the St. John area and brought this uh, Pentecostal expression of faith. And so our church uh, came out of that. Uh, it's only a congregation of about 55 years, 56 or 7 years uh, in operation, and uh, have always been in the city center. 
That's, mm-hmm. that's where it's always existed. And so it was a drive-in church, basically. People, regional church, people drove into our area. It was, it was hopping when it started back in 1965. Mm-hmm. With David Crabtree as the lead pastor. It was a happening place. They had TV show, a radio show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ran 1,000 at Sunday school. The building is, is built to seat 1,000. It was a happening place. They owned a garage to service their fleet of buses uh, wow. back then. It was a real hotspot of uh, Christian ministry. And then over time, uh, culture changes, things change, people change, even the the population of that area and the neighborhood of where our church is declined and times change. And so generally over the years, there's been a decline in attendance and even somewhat with the finances as well. And the neighborhood has changed a lot. And so it's uh, it's at a point now where we're, we're rediscovering ourselves mm-hmm. because we're not what we were Though we have a lot of people that still attend the church, they're now getting up in years. Uh, they're now approaching their 80s, a lot of individuals. And so we we are grappling with who we are and what we're supposed to do right now in that area where we are. I think you're describing uh, a microcosm of many of the churches in Canada that have similar histories, starting in the city core, uh, but as, as the city changes and people moved suburban, moved out, uh, then the church came under new kinds of pressures. It was no longer uh, the church that you walked to. So in, in your congregation, uh, if you had to throw a ballpark figure, uh, what percentage of people are driving in and, and what percentage of people uh, live within, say, a couple kilometers of the church? I'd say it's probably, off the top of my head, roughly probably 60%-ish of the people aren't within a couple of kilometers of the church. About 40% that attend right now are within that radius of our localized area where the church is in the neighborhood. Yeah. In a history like the church that it used to be. Uh, there's very much of a, a trajectory of come and see. There's something happening here. And, but as the church had, over time has de- plateaued and declined, uh, that no longer becomes the modus operandi. It, it becomes more of we have to reach the world around us. Mm. And uh, so is that where your church is at? Yes, and we're still in that process right now as we speak. Yeah. Looking at what needs are there now in the neighborhood around our church and how can we best meet those needs and help. I mean, we're in a building that is 100 years old this year. Mm-hmm. It was an old Presbyterian building. It's a great mm-hmm. big arc of a thing. So as long as God allows us to be there, how can we best use even that mm-hmm as a service, as a ministry mm-hmm. center, as a place to help with practical needs of what people are mm-hmm. desperately longing for in our neighborhood. But what do you think people are longing for? I think people, in my experience, where we are, are looking for relationship, meaningful relationship, meaningful connections, meaningful mm-hmm. uh, support, respect, uh, kindness, 
um, ideally and generally, because I am a minister, uh, people, I believe, have a spiritual vacuum in their lives. They're mm-hmm. looking for fulfillment of the spiritual part of them as well. Right. And I think we have something to offer in that regard. Hmm. So it's there's uh, sounds like a a, uh, uh, a intersection between two worlds, and uh, you have some eighty year olds in your church, and uh, how do eighty year olds um, feel about all the this change that's that's going on? Some of them probably were the, in this church when they were young. And everything changed. And uh, do, do they live with the ghost of Christmas past? Uh, <laughs> or are they able to see something new and adapt? What, what kind of uh, conversations are you having and, and hearing mm. with, uh, with those uh, who are in their reclining years? It's a self-discovery. It's a discovery for every one of us. It's a discovery for me, even, mm-hmm. to assess who am I, what am I about, and what does my world need around me. And so we're all on this journey together. 80 years old, 60 years old, 50, 40, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're discovering, huh, it's a different day. The old models that I've always relied on or often have for Christian ministry aren't necessarily working, especially where I am, mm-hmm. like they used to. People think very differently, and they have some concerns, at least in my neighborhood, about Christianity and the church. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying, as of right now, to, in practical ways, uh, embrace our neighborhood, embrace our community, and serve in practical means, you mm-hmm. know, providing meals. Uh, uh, we've started by the grace of God, some people in our church felt to start a mental health, a Christian mental health support group because it was a need there in our neighborhood wow. for listening ears, for, uh, you know, kindness, for tell, a little snack. Tell me a little bit about that support group. It's totally bizarre. It's God. Uh, lady. Uh, Wait a minute. Mental health and totally bizarre I know, in the same sentence? Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> a lady uh, moved to our area, began attending our church, attended our church for uh, about a year or so, and she came to me and said, I have something on my heart that I was involved in in another place where mm-hmm. I used to live before life changed, and she moved to our area. She said, it's it's a Christian mental health support group. We use a curriculum uh, that's, that's Christ-centered, but it's discussion-based, it's listening-based, it's encouragement-based, mm-hmm. a time of, of friendship, a time of gathering around tables, sharing a, a basic meal together to just encourage each other once a week and build connections with those who maybe marginalized, maybe feeling very alone. And so we we brought that to the leadership of the church and they concurred that this was something that was needed. We hadn't heard of really anything like this. So this lady and her husband started this new ministry initiative, oversaw that. And our the really strange thing is our mental health professionals are all on board with it. Mm-hmm. The secular mental health professionals, the, the, the government services, as well as uh, different professionals are recommending people to the program and promoting putting up our posters and announcing it and spreading the word even though it's explicitly christian and christ-centered yeah and we've just seen beautiful growth as people have come to have support to have acceptance to have love we do we do not have a good history in churches of understanding people with mood disorders Mm. or or you know struggling with mental health and uh, to hear that something 
life-giving like that is happening something that is not just not just the value of good behavioral therapy mm. you know and and relearning how to think those are all valuable tools but actually uh, to have an, an opportunity to speak into the spiritual dynamic of a person mm. it's not all mental no. you know and and it's not all spiritual it's it's they they work together that's right yeah um so i want to hear about the neighborhood uh that you're in you, you're at the um live center of of the neighborhood take me on a five senses walking tour around your neighborhood what am i going to see smell hear taste touch feel whatever sure uh we, we're in an area that's quite uh dense densely populated uh, for our area it would be the urban center there's only about probably two other boroughs that in our area would somewhat reflect in a smaller fashion the the urban dynamic of a mm -hmm. lot of businesses a lot of you know um, housing larger housing complexes Most people or whatever. don't think urban when they think maritimes it's true but um, you've got a piece of it we do we do and we i mean we'd be uh, the maritimes um, third largest city and in our neighborhood we have the bar district that's mm -hmm. about a block away uh, which makes it fun it's a pretty happening place there's a lot of action and, mm -hmm. and things happening which which i really like for some of the events we do to say hey we're here too we have mm -hmm. other things to offer as well um, as i said we have uh, office towers um, all of the office towers in our city are within a couple of blocks of mm -hmm. us they're mm -hmm. all there so we have a lot of business people in the week that are coming and going um, we've even had some of them now say hey you guys are doing some things we want to volunteer we want to help out a lot of yeah. restaurants right around us which mm -hmm. make it very difficult to be healthy um, I tend to be quite tempted by the awesome savory smells all yeah. around me it's not into temptation I know yeah. it's true it's true um, but it's it's a it's a happening place uh, we have experienced in our city uh, in the last several years, the stats tell us there's been a 2.2, uh, 2.4% population decrease in our city. Uh, but our neighborhood, our localized area where the church is, has experienced uh, something like a 12 or 13% population growth. There's mm -hmm. been new condo apartments, uh, new studio apartments are popping up a lot of places just within a block of our church. Yeah. So there's... in, in as in many other places, in uh, a draw of people coming back into our inner uh, city core. And so we are also trying to assess how to minister to people that aren't only impoverished or those who are down and out or struggling, uh, but also some of those folks that a lot of them are, are young singles, young professionals, young families yeah. that are moving into the neighborhood as well. You know, you know it's urban when the rich and the poor are practically on top of each other mm. the, the 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 extreme poverty and and the extreme wealth mm. uh, showing up in the same geography and I've had some people ask how can you do church in a setting like that that's not gonna work yeah with, are you gonna with, be a rich church or are you gonna be a poor church? you can't be both but I disagree with that mm -hmm. I feel that there's a there's an opportunity there to be able to have people come that have a heart to serve, a heart mm -hmm. to do ministry, a heart to share, to love, who may have means and may um, be from maybe a, a larger scale of finances or whatever, mm -hmm. for those that are just starting out or trying to restart their lives right. from addiction and brokenness. I think it's a, we have a place where people can roll up their sleeves and get involved and, yeah. and help 
those that are around us. Have you seen uh, some examples uh, in your church or your community of people who uh, have a little more um, security and affluence uh, being in a meaningful connection to, to somebody who's more vulnerable. Yes, we, we are beginning to see that, and we see that some. I'm, I'm earnestly praying for that to happen more as we go forward. But yes, uh, there was uh, some individuals just a few weeks ago who, who uh, got talking to some folks in our church, and the, 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 there were completely different circumstances from their background and where they live and their financial situation. And they said, well, let's do lunch. And they went out to lunch together, yeah. you know, uh, which was beautiful. Uh, I'm seeing people in our church. We have executives that attend our church from different yeah. corporations and companies in our city. They come to partner together and help each other and grow and learn despite yeah. socioeconomic backgrounds. What I've experienced is that sometimes uh, those uh, who have uh, more uh, affluence uh, and power uh, sometimes have a bias uh, towards the poor. And I've also seen the reverse, where those who are poor mm -hmm. are very quick to be dismissive of those who have the money, the power, the affluence, you know, and it's almost like, uh, get away from me, you can't understand me. And, uh, and, you know, and perhaps sometimes the privileged person uh, feeling at risk somehow that by uh, being, being around these people, you don't know what they're going to do. It's, it, it always becomes us and them. Yes. Right? Yes. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a real pastoral challenge mm. to help people grow to the middle, mm -hmm. right? That's right. Um, so um, you've done some things in the, the neighborhood. Uh, one of them was uh, involved craft dinner. Yes. And uh, tell us about that incredible uh, gift to the church, craft mm -hmm. dinner. Definitely. There's, there's been several initiatives that we've embarked on, even in the last just two years, of trying to engage our community, invite our community in uh, to events or to join us and celebrate different holidays or things to just say, hey, we care. Mm -hmm. No big preaching, teaching, actually none of that. Just saying, hey, we just want to serve you, we want to help you. So KD Day was one of those initiatives that a lot of churches in Canada have done or are doing. It's a simple concept. We serve craft dinner uh, on Tuesday at noon for high school students. We have two high schools within a couple mm -hmm. of blocks, one almost across the street, just 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 diagonally up the street from mm -hmm. us. And so we felt this was a need that we have teens in our city and in our neighborhood who don't have a lot to eat. And more importantly, they needed a safe place because we had a problem. We had mm -hmm. about 30 teens gathering on our property for the last several years. They were getting into fights. Uh, it became a fight spot. Hey, if you want to beat somebody's face off, go behind Calvary Temple Church. Good spot yeah. there. It's secluded. You can beat them up and it works well. A lot of, a lot of drug use happening there. Mm -hmm. um, and we didn't want to just call the police. We wanted other solutions. Is there a safe place that they could gather? Well, they could come in our building. We have the yeah. room. So we, we pitched this idea and went forward with simply serving craft dinner uh, Tuesday at noon. We've had up to 165 teens mm -hmm. in our building at a time um, eating and just being together. Again, there's no preaching, teaching, none of that. We're just there to serve, to love. Right. And it's, it's taken off. I just got to yeah. say, it's so exciting because we've had no budget for this. Mm -hmm. We have no money to do this at all. 
what's happened is the community has said, hey, that sounds like a good idea. That, that's a safe place for them to be. Keep them out of trouble. We're on board. So parent-teacher associations mm-hmm. have, have jumped on board. The schools promoted and announced it. Businesses have come on board. Our own people from our church bring in the craft dinner. And we actually had to make an announcement about a month ago, please stop bringing in craft dinner. We have mm-hmm. enough for the rest of this year, and we have money to do some of next year. <laughs> We're doing great. Thank you. And, yeah. it, and it shocked us. Yeah. But that desire to pitch together, help each other. I don't know too many uh, kids or teens that don't like craft dinner. I know when I was raising uh, my boys, they could uh, down a box single-handedly, and they didn't even have to cook it, man. They were just loved it that much. And it works great because I told you we have a lot of seniors... They know how to make craft dinner, and they can stir a pot, and they can yeah. serve it out. So it's a way for them to be involved yeah. and be a Connecting part. Connecting the generation. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the special recipe that they use, I'm told, I'm told, we have the best craft dinner in the city, and it's really creamy. They don't let it get dry and goopy. Apparently, it's supposed to be I, quite, quite premium. I think somebody needs to get you an, endor- an endorsement from craft. I think that's what needs to happen here. Um so shifting the, the conversation a little bit, um, in December 2011, uh, McLean's Magazine ranked St. John as the sexual assault capital of Canada. Mm-hmm. Boy, I hope that that is changing. Uh, but in, in addition to being the sexual assault capital, uh, there's been some significant community leaders that got busted for... Uh, committing uh, crimes against children mm-hmm. and uh, um, and uh, so here you are you're pastoring a church you were a youth pastor um, you know we've got this uh, our, our motive as churches when we come out to the community we don't want to create usually a, a Jesus trap you know we give you a, give you a hot dog so we can you know um, close the door and and preach at you. That's not uh, a godly motive. A godly motive is uh, we're coming out because we believe that we should love our neighbor and that to show Mm -hmm. kindness and hospitality and concern and compassion is is what we're made for, right? Yes. So, but then you have these crises that really affect people's trust. You know, I'm not sending my kids to one of those churches. Mm-hmm. You know, I have no idea what will happen to them. Yeah. You know, or, uh, you know, the, the scandals that we hear about all the time with, with priests and, and, and pastors. And, and, you know, I mean, that always gets, I think, doubly amplified because they're supposed to be high trust individuals. Mm. They're supposed to be people that we can trust. And when they betray that trust, it's it's twice as heavy, I think, mm. you know, in terms of the impact that it makes on a community. So you've had to live through some scandals in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us about some of those scandals and 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 how has that affected uh, how's that affected Calvary Temple? It's been very difficult, um, specifically in our neighborhood. I remember about eight or nine years ago, uh, we had, uh, we've actually had three young women um, who were raped hmm. um, that were associated with our church. And um, one of them was on the way home from youth group. 
um, which was really, really troubling because you think these people, you know, feel like they should be involved in a church faith community and they'll get out to be encouraged and on their way back home, they're attacked and mm. and just desecrated. And so it's very difficult to see that happen. I do see improvements. So there has been some change in our city, mm-hmm. some, you know, some initiatives and things to try to raise awareness and better education and support and help. Um, but yeah, the, the scandals that then broke of, of leaders, people that were entrusted positions and even people in in municipal government that were supposed to be people of faith Mm. and and that that was extremely difficult as well because it's not only well this is a great you know official that's that's done this but it's someone that's supposed to be someone following god and so there's been a lot of distrust Uh, it's been difficult to try to rebuild bridges with people to you know uh, we're we're people of faith in jesus but we just want to love and serve you we're not trying to entrap you ensnare you attack you or do anything to harm you and it's hard to convince people of that when they see this in several cases people of trust that have attacked people and hurt them yeah it's been hard yeah. What would you say uh, to somebody that's uh, been victimized in that way? Uh, as a um, follower of Jesus, as, as uh, somebody who, you know, um, says my life is about um, compassion, uh, about loving my neighbor, what would you say uh, to, to a victim? I mean, and, and I'm not, I don't want you to, to obviously give names or no. anything like that, no. but but you've probably had to be in that situation of responding to victims. Mm. So what's important? Well, for me, I, my, my initial response is I'm, I'm so very sorry that that happened. And that isn't the case for everyone that wants to serve. It, you begin to have a feeling from people in our neighborhood, what's the, okay, what's the ulterior motive? Yeah. You're providing this service or this program, you're here to do whatever, Why? What yeah. do you want? What's in it for you, Mr. Yeah. Preacher Man? What's in it for you? And so I, I just try to communicate, I'm so very sorry that this has happened and this yeah. abuse has happened. And and I, I, I try to and hope that through our consistent, serving, loving example, I've been there for 14 and a half years. Um, my wife and I are quite involved in our neighborhood and our community. And we, we pray that that consistent example reminds mm-hmm. that not everyone, yeah. is yeah. going to abuse, going to hurt you, going to misuse you. Um, and to just say, let's grow together. You teach me, I'll, I'll learn from you, and we'll walk together as a community to bring healing and trust again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um, a, uh, a story you told me about um, uh, the time you had... Uh, somebody from the street that came into one of your church services and I, and you have people that come you know oh, yes. but this one particular time uh tell me about the time uh when a bunch of people were uh lined up at the front of the church mm-hmm. uh to to pray mm-hmm. and what happened we have we have a variety of of very 
colorful and exciting uh, friends that, that join us at Calvary Temple Church in St. John. Uh, among the staff, we have a joke that we're going to write a book someday called Only in Calvary Temple, um, <laughs> highlighting some of the stories and, and exciting adventures. But yes, the day you mentioned, we were uh, in a Sunday setting, in a worship service setting. I was at the keyboard on the stage. People were at the front uh, praying and whatnot. And I saw this, this gentleman come in and walk in through the crowd and make his way to the front and as we're singing a song together he works the the line of prayer to panhandle uh, through the line and i was kind of proud of our people because a number of years ago i wouldn't be shocked if he was escorted out quite quickly you're not welcome here yeah. but i was kind of proud because our people graciously you know just tried to say no, no we're here praying you know and a few people gave him a few bucks or whatever yeah. and he kind of moved on but that was quite a snapshot of where we are and who we are yeah. That we're people of faith trying to love God and serve, and we're yeah. in an area with some very raw needs, some very yeah. real needs of desperation. And this guy saw an opportunity, hey, maybe I can yeah. get a bite to eat, yeah. you know, and so he works the line of prayer. <laughs> uh, but that's that's just the reality of where we are. Yeah, what a reality. <laughs> it's, yeah, you know, it could be a real, reality TV show, I'm sure. That, uh, do you ever have a boring day? Uh, very rarely. I mean, yeah. there, there was one. There was one meeting I was in, and in the middle of the meeting, uh, the police burst through and and ran through the building. They were chasing someone that had snatched someone's purse just out front, <laughs> and it's yeah, it's it's a happening place. It's it's an exciting place, yeah. but it's funny because I'm a country boy. Mm -hmm. So initially, when I went there, I was petrified to barely get out of my car and run to the door of the church and get in, mm -hmm. and just so rural perspective. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I thought, I can't do this, but God stretches mm. you yeah, and you change your heart changes. And now I know people on a first name basis and, yeah. you know, I see lives changing and people's hearts melting on, yeah. from my heart and folks that I work with, yeah. as well as our guests and our friends in the neighborhood. Yeah. And it's exciting to see that happen. And at this point, which I didn't say before, we have the most people uh, that are attending the church from our neighborhood, people that are growing in their faith and, and really plugged in mm -hmm. and involved and now leading mm -hmm. in our church, in our neighborhood, from the geographic region right around the church. I think that's probably the way it should be. Yeah. And um, when you uh, talk about being a country boy, being afraid when you first showed up 14 years ago, um, what was it that changed what you were afraid what you what you used to be afraid of to what are you afraid of now hmm. <laughs> oh wow uh i think you know it's probably the fear of the unknown initially you just you don't know it felt like a really big city to me mm -hmm. i mean st john is not a big city 125,000 people but to me it was huge yeah it was unknown uh it was new uh, and then, and then, as you begin to work, if I can say, in the trenches of life, and learning and growing, and through experiences like panhandlers uh, working through a church event and whatever, <laughs> you learn and grow and get to know people's stories, mm -hmm. get to know them more. Mm -hmm. um, so, in my current role, I'd say what scares me now uh, is is more of how can we make this mission church? Because that's we're realizing more now than ever we are a mission. Yeah. We're not your traditional Burby church or whatever. Mm -hmm. We are a mission point right in the heart of our city. How mm -hmm. can we make that work 
financially? Mm -hmm. How can it be viable going forward to best serve, to serve more? We don't even want to just be what we have been the last, you know, 20 or 30 years, kind of a soup kitchen kind of place occasionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Want to be more than that. How can we really help people build their lives from the ground up? Mm-hmm. in skills training, in you know, things that will sustain them, give them food security and help them going forward to mm-hmm. strengthen their lives and help them in practical ways and spiritual ways. Yeah. If it, the church closed tomorrow, would it make a difference to your neighbors? I would firmly say yes, and I'm trying to take a look from stepping back not just initial, oh yes, of course. Mm-hmm. But when I think about it, there are so many churches that have closed in our neighborhood. It's extremely mm-hmm. expensive to do business in mm-hmm. the inner city. Um, we're in a huge, big old building. Uh, it's like just taking money and throwing it in the wind when we turn the heat on in the winter. Mm-hmm. There's no insulation in a lot of the building. We've mm-hmm. tried to fortify that, fix mm-hmm. that, but it's difficult in a hundred-year-old building. Yeah. Um, there, there's some there's some significant... Uh, there's some real significant challenges there. I've completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> Help me out. We... Yeah, I know. You start worrying about money, just, and, and it just blocks everything else out. <laughs> True enough. Yeah. Okay, remind me what your initial question was. So, or yeah, just to, you know the things that, uh, that you're afraid of. Yeah, well, the, the whole mission part, that we are a mission place trying to rebuild people's lives, and, and just how do, how do we best do that? Because we want to holistically mm-hmm. help people. Yeah. not just cause more problems, a short-term little help, yeah. that'll really cause the more problems how, going forward. How do you actually be systemic in a way that uh, brings life into your into your city, right? Mm. I think... I think that the spiritual part is a big part of it. I mm-hmm. think that we do offer foundationally and first a relationship with Jesus Christ and discipleship mm-hmm. to grow believers, build believers who then build more believers in mm-hmm. Christ. That would be the first thing. But we're learning right now. How can we better serve? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we need some skills development programs in our setting, in our right facility in our organization uh, there are some opportunities we hope going forward to help in more practical ways to give financial um, knowledge or education mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. personal finance building and yeah. cooking classes and you know some practical things that will help people because my own experience with my parents they had to learn how to be parents they yeah. came from a very a difficult situation in their own lives and I think back to their stories to me they had to be educated through mentoring and how to be a parent, how to do personal finances, how to cook. Yeah. All those practical things. People still need that today. Yeah. How yeah. can we in my organization provide that and help in that regard? That's what mm. I hope we can accomplish. Yeah. Chad, uh, it's been really great talking to you. And I uh, can't wait to one day visit St. John, come to Calvary Temple and walk around the neighborhood with you and uh, keep doing what you're doing. You know, I asked the question, would the neighborhood notice if you close tomorrow? Let me just respond by saying everything I'm hearing, you're not closing tomorrow. And, right. and the challenges that you face are, are part of discovering what form will we take going mm. forward? Mm. You know, and what, what do we value above all else? Mm. And uh, it, it can't be our buildings because they decay and dilapidate and and uh, it has to be about the people that, 
that uh, God loves. Mm. And uh, so thank you so much. I'm learning a lot listening to you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was Chad Nickerson from St. John, New Brunswick. You know that craft dinner idea uh, where they wanted to open their doors to high school students? Well, since the time we recorded, they did that and they've been averaging 110 students uh, coming out to it. Sometimes the simplest idea becomes a beautiful gift to the community. Hey, thanks for listening to this podcast and sharing it with others. We're now at over 1,600 RSS subscribers here to date. And congratulations to Sarah, who guessed uh, closest to the date when we would reach 1,000 subscribers. She won a Starbucks card. Let me tell you some things that are coming up on Sidewalk Skyline. For the next four or five episodes, we're going to do a series called Gangland Preachers, looking at uh, ministries in the Toronto area that have significant gang-affiliated youth connections. Our first gangland preacher is Olu Jegede, the pastor of Christian Centre Church. The Jane Finch Corridor has been a hot spot for many years and you're going to hear how one of the churches there is thriving in a place that other people might stay away from. Then in following weeks we're going to hear from Dr. Anthony Hutchinson of Tyndale University, Mark Goring from Church in Regent Park, and the king of pimp exit strategies, E.J. Tupé. So if you haven't yet subscribed, go to your podcast provider and you can listen to all of our episodes, past, present, and future. In this time when our city sidewalks are not so busy, uh, be safe, people. And until next time, keep one ear to God and another to the streets in your city. I'm Kevin Rogers, and you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.